Hello and a happy new year to all you listeners who have joined me for another episode of Leave It In The Locker Room, the first one of 2021. My name is Charlie Green and of course I'm your host for this podcast series where each episode I'll be having on a current or ex-sporting professional on the podcast and they'll be putting forward three things they would like to remove from their respective sports. It really can be anything and the point is to give sporting professionals the opportunity to come on and speak openly about what annoys them whilst partaking in their sport. Of course, I'll also find out how my guest is doing and we have our usual feature, quick fire locker room questions to end the podcast. So there's lots to look forward to. But now it's time to welcome all my guests for today's episode. And we're back here in England swapping the latest episode, American football for its British older brother, The Egg. Today's guest is an English professional rugby player currently playing for London Irish in the Premiership best known for being an orchestrator at fly half, but can also adapt to any position across the back line. A former World Rugby Under-20 Championship winner with England, Theo Brophy Clues, welcome on to Leaving in the Locker Room. Happy New Year, mate, and how are you doing in lockdown 3.0 here in England? Hey, Charlie, thanks for having me on. Um, excited to get, have a bit of a chat. Happy New Year to you, and yeah, the New Year's been pretty similar as last year so far. Obviously, we're, we're in and out of rugby um, based on the lockdown stuff, so um, yeah, a lot of time at home, not doing too much, playing a lot of beer sports. So this is the first episode since Christmas and New Year period. Did you do well this year on Father Christmas's good list? I did, yeah. My uh, my girlfriend's been um, on furlough pretty much the whole year. So she essentially, her hobby became buying me nice presents. So um, I'm a very lucky boy. So Christmas was good for me and it was actually nice because um, of the games actually being cancelled, having Christmas off for the first time in a few years. So um, yeah, it was great for me. What present did your girlfriend get you? Uh, the best one, um, she got me, so one of my lockdown um, hobbies at the start of 2020 was learning to skateboard, so um, she got me some decent skateboarding shoes, a good trainer, so that was pretty good, and then she got me lots of other stuff, she got me an air fryer, now I'm an old, boring, middle-aged man, I'm excited about getting an air fryer, so uh, that was good, and then lots of nice little bits and bobs as well. Seems you've done well, um, and you mentioned there sort of the festive period, here is in English for professional sportsmen in this country it's pretty chaotic time but because of this COVID outbreak that we're going to move on to shortly you've had some free time on your hands so has it actually been sort of more relaxing uh, this year around has that actually been kind of sort of welcomed by you? Yeah it's weird I think obviously everyone loves Christmas and I think one of the best things of Christmas is being like me out with friends and family that have been working or different places so I think if we had Christmas off normally I would get that would be awesome but obviously this time because there's a lot of late changes in proceedings with our games. Um, we had a Boxing Day game cancelled. So it was a little bit up and down of what we were supposed to be doing, whether we were going to play or not. But I think it was really nice for a lot of people that even if they weren't with their family, they did get to relax a little bit and not have to worry about a game the day after after Christmas. So I had a lovely time, actually. I think once you got your head around the game, wasn't being played, just crack on and do your best. So it was nice to relax a little bit um, and still be able to see my family. Um, yeah. over Zoom and stuff. So, yeah. so this dreaded COVID, we're here talking about it again. Uh, I try and avoid it as much as possible in this podcast, but I feel so given the circumstances with you in a squad at London Irish currently, we have to talk about it. So your last two games, as we're talking now, have been called off due to COVID um, and there's been an outbreak in the squad of members testing positive, meaning the club's training ground is closed. That's what we know, but what more can you give us? Um, not much, unfortunately. Um, it's a weird situation, really, because obviously there's obviously a lot of there's a lot of protocols that we have to follow in line with national rules, as well as the sport. And obviously, the unavoidable issue is that we play rugby with each other, as opposed to staying two meters away at all times. So it's a difficult one, really, because 
with the cases being so high around where we live, so obviously I live in Surrey and obviously a lot of boys live in London, it's tough once someone gets it and it's not picked up straight away, um, obviously we only get tested once a week, it can spread quite quickly, obviously as much as we wear masks in the gym and inside, we obviously go out and play rugby together. Um, so it's a difficult one really and it's tough from almost a, a league standpoint because it's hard to determine whose fault it is that the game can't be played. So we've had games where although people have been tested positive and have to stay at home, we can feel the side and it's frustrating to not be able to play even though we can still feel the, the 23 because of rules and understandable rules, I guess. But um, So it's a little bit of a sticky one and uh, I guess we're not quite as sure um, exactly why it's happening as much as anyone else. Okay, thank you, Theo, for that answer straight out of the media handbook. Um, <laughs> you've got to give us more here. I mean, how many members of the squad have tested positive? And, I mean, the training ground has been closed. Is it open now or is there any sign of it reopening? Yeah, so we're back in full training. I'll be perfectly honest with you, as much as it sounds very... Uh, I can't remember what the term is, but, like, if I don't know, then I can't tell anyone. But basically, um, we weren't fully informed how many people exactly were testing positive in the name of those people. So... So even if I knew, I could, or even if I could say, I don't know. So um, I know that there's any more than three positive tests that the, the training ground has to be closed down to be contaminated. So um, I could say there's more than three because that's the, that's the guidelines, I think. I've been lucky that I haven't had to isolate or test the positive. So I've been able to go out and train, train on my own at random various rugby pitches around the area. So what have the coaches got you and the boys doing from a home and then in a local area? Yeah, it's been um, it's been interesting. So the SFC coach still send out some some running sessions, and uh, they actually delivered some of the, the gym equipment to our to our houses. I was dropping a barbell in my living room again, like the start of lockdown last year. So I'm not sure my neighbours were paying me for that, but um, yeah, it had to be done. And then yes, yeah, so they sent out some running sessions, so we go do some skills. So I was training at Staines Rugby Club, which as much as I don't want to slag them off on a podcast, the pitches need a bit of work. But yeah, and I had to do a few running sessions, a few fitness sessions on our own, which. Um, the boys will tell you you're pretty mean and are very fun. Yeah, I'm sure. And before this COVID outbreak, uh, a team had won one of their opening three games in the Premiership and then were coming off back-to-back wins in Europe. So you guys are obviously gaining some momentum. So how frustrating has it been to sort of have this layoff that will be almost for a month now? And how hard do you think it's going to be to come back and sort of hit the gas running? Yeah, it's been, it's been very frustrating for, for a lot of the team, especially those who haven't even been able to leave their houses. We obviously speak about in Europe as a competition that we want to do well in on its own, but it's great to build momentum going back into the Premiership because obviously that's the priority for us. So obviously having back-to-back wins against Jen and Powell, who kind of like full steam ahead, like looking forward to the game against Bar. And yeah, it was very frustrating, especially the way that it happened with delayed results, being pushed back and phone and then yeah, obviously fully off. So it is frustrating, but I think the nature of being playing a professional sport is that stuff changes pretty quickly. So you've got to adapt, figure out what's the best thing to do. So, I mean, this week's been, been unbelievable, actually. We've only been train, training twice, but I think you can tell that everyone's just like raring to go for it. And it's probably excited to play Quinn's, obviously, our local rivals as well. And quickly, before we get into the main section, you personally started at 10 in a win over Argon and then had some minutes off the bench in the Prem also this season. How has Theo Brophy clues viewed his start to the season uh, before this break occurred? A little slow, I'd say. I didn't play loads of minutes off the bench. So, um, played against um, Argen, obviously away in France at 10, which was, um, which was going really well. And then actually battered just as I passed the ball to someone else. So, um, had some sore ribs for a week. But like I said, I'm pretty excited to go. Um, hopefully against Quinn for the weekend. So, ready to go and uh, fully fit now. 
good to hear. Right, so we do have to get on to the reason why you've come on to leaving in a locker room today, and that is for you to come forward and put your claim and reasoning to why you want three certain things to be removed from your sport, that is rugby. Um, so the way this is going to work, Theo, is one by one, you're going to put three things forward that you'd like to remove from rugby, and then we're going to discuss them, and you're going to try and convince me that they should be removed from the sport. So then after hearing Theo's arguments, I'm then going to pick one of the three things to hypothetically remove from rugby, and um, then we're going to leave it in the locker room. So Theo, what's the first thing you would like to remove from rugby, please? First thing I'd like to remove from rugby, and it's a purely selfish desire, um, and it's that to remove any internal uh, live training game and live contact in, in training. Um, so that's what I'd like to remove. Okay, so why is it that you want to sort of reduce, by sounds like, the amount of contact in training and internal training games? So I think there's like two aspects to it. So the first is that as much as everyone probably thinks it's quite nice, it's not that fun trying to beat the shit out of your mates. And it's when you're in obviously a training environment, uh, doing live contact, just like it's hard to get up for, it's painful. In a game, we obviously love the physical and love the contact element of it. But in training, it leads to injuries and niggles. And it's just like, it's just a bit of a ball ache, basically. Um, so all that sounds a bit wishy-washy for an actual rugby player. That's the first aspect anyway. The second is obviously the fact that um, from a player welfare point of view, everyone wants our careers to be as long as possible. And obviously hearing lots of ex-rugby players speak about their issues with dementia and, and head issues, it's a little bit daunting, obviously, when you're seeing these players get these symptoms so early. So that's another aspect of it. But it's mainly because rugby players like complaining and don't fancy to get up for a full live contact session on Tuesday. <laughs> I do get that. But you mentioned uh, that just then. This is, is very topical at the moment because last month, former players came out and said they are proposing a legal case against, against World Rugby and the RFU over what they claim is their failure to protect them from the risk caused by concussions. So what was your reaction to the news that sort of players like Steve Thompson and I think it was Poppin from Wales, for instance, they came out and said they're having early signs of dementia at sort of the young age of 42? I kind of shit myself a little bit, really. Um, yeah, I think initially you're a bit like, oh, that's not going to affect me at different situations and you kind of ignore it a little bit. But as I've had a, a number of concussions out of my career and a lot of players also have, so I think it quite quickly turns to like, that could well be me. So it's a little bit scary, really. But I think the good thing is that concussions on their own are managed much, much better now and they're also taken care of and obviously people are aware of them. You hear these guys saying that like if you didn't play a game or you pulled out because your head was sore, like you become soft and you didn't want to play rugby. Whereas that's just not the case anymore. So it is encouraging from the fact that the the care is much better, but um yeah, it's a little bit worrying when you get players saying they can't remember playing in the World Cup. Why that hopefully being one of the best moments of a player's career. Yeah. I think that's a good point you bring up there is we've got to also remember that a lot has changed since these sort of days and these players of of that generation has sort of come forward. I mean, they were just in that starting period of professionalism after amateur. So I think we have to remember that, but there's obviously something yourself and players in the game are worried about, and I totally get that. But then also, so the other argument, the other side of it would be that you, you, you sign up to play rugby, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into, you know the risks that you're going to take up when you play the sport, don't you? Yeah, completely. And I think that's why... But it's mainly in training and I think players just want to know what the risks are and what we are signing ourselves up for. Everyone knows that like this is the game that, I mean, we're very lucky to obviously play professionally and I wouldn't give it up, give it up for a second. Um, but I think players do want to know what might happen to them. And 
and then make the decision off that, I think. So I think that's the aspect of it as, as much as, um, as we love being physical and we like playing the contact sport. Um, I think we do want to know what, what the risk might be. Obviously, like I said, it's our choice, so you can't complain about it too much. That's a very fair point. And I, I mean, I know how much you players try to avoid sort of training and contact. I think I've heard stories that back in the day, Simon Shaw used to always sort of deem himself injured and wouldn't train the whole week. And then remarkably, he'd play every weekend for Wasps back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but there are a lot of boys that are expert at doing that. Um, I think it's genuinely something that players obviously, like, if you train all week and then you rock up and they announce the team and that someone else is playing who's, uh, who's not played, no one really likes that. But I think some people play through an awful lot. And so I think for training, they're like, you know what, I just need to make sure I get myself to the game fit. And then obviously that's what you get paid to do. You get paid to play, not to train. So I think some people are very aware of the fact that you don't want to basically train ridiculously hard a week and, and not be fit for the game. So to your point of sort of reducing the amount of contact in training to prevent injuries and concussions, for instance, what does a typical week's training schedule look like for you and the players at the moment? So, so what percentage of that time is spent around sort of contact? We train Monday, which would be a lot kind of like reviews and meetings and kind of learning from the past game and obviously starting the preview for the next weekend. So training's relatively light. There probably wouldn't be contact unless for boys who didn't play. Um, and they do some kind of some pad work in terms of some tackling and carrying that's not super full on. And then Tuesday would be a main training day. There would be more like live co- contact elements and as well as kind of just lots of different conditioning and rugby elements to the session. So Tuesday is probably the biggest like day in terms of training. And then Thursday, kind of you're basically like finishing off session where you kind of tie together all the, all the loose ends. It's quite fast and there's sometimes be a little bit of contact there. And then Friday to be a team run, which is pretty light and doing some skills and then play Saturday. So that's like the typical training week for us at the moment. And then what would you like it to look like? I think um, a model like the NFL have, that the league basically says you're only allowed to do X amount of, of hours of contact training per year. And it's difficult because I know that it's not based off hard evidence. That's like, if you do this amount of contact, you're not going to get X amount of injuries. Obviously, you know that. But I think it's, it would be a good kind of proactive step to be like limiting the amount of contact you can do throughout the year so that you're not liable to a coach that gets angry that you weren't physical enough the weekend and makes you lots and lots of live tackling or lots of live rucking. So I don't want to not do any contact in training, but I want it to be limited in a way that we know how much we're doing to present ourselves for long term. The only thing I would I'd be worried about would be if you were to sort of reduce the amount of contact in training and internal sort of contact training matches, what effect will that have on the games you play? Because, I mean, you always hear that motto, what was it, sort of train the way you play. So if you were going to reduce the amount of contact training, do you think that will have an effect in the games itself? You know what? Like, I think it, I think it might well do, to be honest. And I'm not sure which side it would, it would lean on in terms of would it basically mean that people are rubbish at tackling and therefore there's more breaks there's less like just battering down the walls of defence. There's more open play. Or does it mean that everyone's technique's really bad and everyone gets hurt? So I'm not quite sure what kind of side we'd be on. I do remember um, in the championship a few years ago, they, in, in a bid to kind of reduce concussions, they brought in a law in one of the, one of the tournaments, one of the competitions that you could only tackle below, I think it was below even like the nipple, like anything on that line or other penalties. So essentially you had to tackle really low. I remember the first game we played is the Championship Cup. We played Hartford and there were four concussions. 
discussions in the first match of this trial of people having to tackle loads. So everyone was just like, okay, this doesn't work. So they literally had to scrap it after the first four games because they were like, concussions are kind of going through the roof trying to change this rule. So it's difficult, obviously, when you put in place something that you're like, this might help, to then be like, it's actually made it worse. So yeah, I think that's happened before. It could potentially happen again. Yeah, I think that is just like the only worry is that if you sort of reduce the amount of contact training and potentially actually it could lead to more injuries in a game situation because maybe the bodies aren't prepared also. Uh, before we move on to your second thing, I mean, have you ever picked up an injury in training? Because for listeners who don't know, Theo, very sadly, has picked up so many injuries over his career. I think you've probably lost count, haven't you? Yeah, I've had a few. So I've had, obviously you get like the little niggles and soft tissue stuff. I remember I had a, I had a tough one a few years ago where it's horrendous where I basically I played on a Monday night they had like um the kind of the second team tournament um just the young players so I played an A-league game on a Monday night and like I said normally they'll be training on Monday training on Tuesday so I was told to come back in for the training on Tuesday and um obviously I because of all the caffeine the game finishes at, uh, late at night so I barely slept so I was coming for training didn't look at a text that told me not to go in to train so I got to train just lost got my boots and gone in and basically, we've been doing contact, and and the Fijian winger is famous at the time. Basically, I was supposed to tackle him, and he just set me so badly. He ended up need me straight in the face because I was just falling over, and <laughs> got a concussion because of that. So that's one from training that sticks in the memory. Probably more my fault than anyone's, but yeah, it was just a bit of a, a nightmare situation, basically. I wouldn't recommend tackling a Fijian winger. Um, okay, so Theo, what is the second thing you would like to remove from rugby? The second thing I'd like to remove from rugby, in short, is stop the refs telling players off and and using their nicknames as well. Okay, so you might have to explain this one a little bit more. What exactly is it the refs that are doing that frustrates you so much? Yeah, so being a ref is a very hard job and they do a brilliant job on the whole. Um, I feel players get very aggravated and don't really like it when they're spoken to like they're a school kid in terms of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. Um, I think that everyone wants to see on TV, especially Nigel Owen is obviously a very witty guy, very funny, would speak to players in a way that would command their respect. And I think the knock-on effect of that, that at scrum time, you'll see the refs telling the props off, saying that, ah, oh, you keep doing this, I'm going to get someone else to come do it better. And I appreciate where it's coming from because it is trying to improve the game to make it better, but especially front row forward and, and other players as well, probably just get pissed off. I find it really interesting, actually, because people would normally associate the relationship between rugby players and refs as one of the best in sport because they treat one another with respect, unlike, you know, they do in football, wouldn't you say, clearly? Yeah. So um, I do want to say that, I do want to preface it, this one is relatively jokey in terms of the fact that, like, I obviously think refs do a great job and I'm glad that basically players don't speak to refs in a bad way. It is just that that side of... Um, you don't want to feel like a naughty school kid, basically, when you're getting told off by refs for something that you probably know how to do better. Um, so, but on the whole, I think it is, the ratio is pretty good. And you mentioned something of the nickname. I need to know what nicknames have refs given you during your playing career and what are some of the best and worst that you've heard fellow players being called? You know what? It's, it's not that bad. I think I had one ref. This is like unfortunate for the ref at the time because he's obviously trying to ref the game and when they speak to players, they want them to do something. It's not like they're just like chatting away. So it is like get off the ball, roll away. And it's an A-League game again where obviously there's no crowd. So it's a bit like a bit chilled out. But a lot of the players at the club used to call me Boris. I had this nickname of Boris. Nothing to do with Boris Johnson, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but 
it basically went round because one of the, the a guy that I played with in my first year just thought I was just a boring bloke, so he started giving me a boring name. So it's one of those that just sticks because you hate it. So everyone was calling me Boris during this game, and the ref has turned to me and said, "Boris, get off the ball." <laughs> basically, been given a penalty. So I've turned around and been like, "No, you're not fucking Boris, mate." <laughs> and so yeah, it's just stuff like that. that I was just like, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" Like, what is this nickname come to that ref is calling me this name that I hate? So yeah, that's one that sticks in my head. And would you say that refs are maybe not giving that same sort of amount of respect that the players are giving to refs? Or would you say that's not the case? Not not the case, really. It's more like, uh, I don't know, you know when um, if you meet someone who knows who you are, that you're not like a mate, he calls you your nickname. You're a bit like... Yeah, who are you? <laughs> yeah, so, no, I think, and on the whole, like the relationship between refs and players is good and it should continue to be good. And if the player knows the ref, I'm sure, like, person to person I'm sure is fine it doesn't annoy a lot of people I don't know I just get a bit weird about when uh, when, when someone uses the name of someone so I think on the whole it is good that players listen to refs and obviously you see a bit of diving and moaning at refs kind of coming to the game a little bit like I don't think it's too bad but obviously I don't want it to go anywhere near football no no I, I do get that especially when I was out in university in the states when I give you a nickname, it's like out of affection. It's that means that you've reached this sort of personal friendship level. I wouldn't call a random guy just by their nickname if I don't know them. You only get that when you get to a certain level of friendship. So I do get that. Um, thinking about Nigel Owens, you mentioned there, he's obviously just announced his retirement recently as well. Do you think maybe the reason why the refs are sort of almost acting like school teachers, as you say, or using players' nicknames is because they now have a mic on during games and now they almost want to sort of bring that entertainment to it and almost show off to the TV audience? I don't know. Um, I think it's a good point. It's hard, like, it's really hard to say because sometimes refs get it really right and it's funny and it's needed. I think it can be quite refreshing sometimes when you have players shouting at refs particularly. I think that's quite a good time for it when basically when refs again like players being not very respectful to a ref and they turn around and tell them to fuck off, basically. Yeah, because from a viewer's point of view, you would never be able to sort of find out much about the personality of a ref until sort of mics have come in now. And now, I mean, the reason why Nigel Owens is so loved is for comments like where, you know, he comes into a situation where a player's sort of hurling abuse at him in some sort of way and he just says, this is not football. You know, go and play that if you're not interested in following my rules. So... If there was a ref listening to this podcast now, what would your message be to them? Um, because we definitely have you know Nigel Owens and Wayne yeah, Barnes and people. people. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd probably say it's. I think there's a clear line of respect and um, how players treat you, and I think that when when players aren't respecting the ref, it could be a really good time to be very, very clear with them and say a bit of a telling off. But then on the whole, I think we like refs to ref the game really well and just to really clear with us and it's not about going on long rants or like using nicknames but yeah I think it's about being really clear and reffing, reffing the game as best you can um, because I think you get the refs that, that let the game flow really well and don't interject too much and don't speak too much I think they're the refs that are respected a lot by the players so I don't want to come across that I don't like refs because I think on, on the whole you do a brilliant job. Gotcha and then Theo what's the third thing you'd like to remove from rugby and leave it in the locker room please? I'd let, like to get rid of old commentators who played the game in a different era than it's being played now and replace it with current players, recently retired players, or maybe even injured players who aren't playing that game. So what is it that frustrates you about these older commentators then? 
are always slagging me off. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, this is just I got slagged off by a commentator once and now I hate all of them. Um, no, so it's it's less of a... I think that there's obviously a lot of great like, ex-rugby players that are commentating now. Um, obviously, you have professional commentators who commentate the game. Um, somebody who's commentating might come in and who might or might not be a back and they essentially just say things that either don't make sense or just are really just not very useful at all. Um, so like the example is is that I've heard potentially Ben Kay, I think, just repeat three times when a back, um, I think it must have been Bristol probably, they were a lot of first phase tries that, that they must have practiced that on the, on the practice pitch. He said it three times because he didn't know else what to say about <laughs> about the move that had just been run. And it's things like that. I'm just like, oh, God, this, I don't know. It just, it just irritates me. So I think I'd like to see where either current players who aren't playing because they're injured or selected or like recent ex-players, I think they give brilliant insight into why teams are doing what they're doing. And I think it gives that better insight for the people that are watching as opposed to just rehashing what's been seen or points that aren't really thought about um, from a rugby player's point of view. I do get what you're saying here because you see it all the time. Like uh, the other day I was watching Wasps the Exeter and the normal scrum kept collapsing. Penalties were given against both teams' front rows. And you had, I think it was Austin Healy commentating, who was a back during his time playing. And you kind of just tell he didn't really understand what he was talking about. Uh, in defence to Austin, I don't think even a props know what is legal and not legal at scrum time. But for a watcher, I can just understand why people aren't getting frustrated. Yeah. And again, like, I'm not going to say if I'm on that conversation that I'm going to give some great insights into the scrum because I'm not. But I think you've, I mean, obviously there's lots of people that are injured or not playing. Let's say you've got an England squad that's not playing, he's injured watching his own, his own team play. And he could be like, okay, well, in the scrum, we're looking to do this, which is why, how are we going to get on top of the other team? The rest given the penalty because he's seen the other player going into the scrum and I'm trying to make him go into the scrum. Like, I think that would be interesting for people to listen to because you get a little bit of like, okay, this is actually how these players are thinking and why they're doing what they're doing. And more so than the commentators. Um, it's more that I think that would be really cool to see in terms of a player being like, this is exactly what he's thinking right now. And I think that'd be good for people to watch. Yeah, no, I, I do actually really like that idea because, you know, potentially it's more relatable. I'm not saying it's going to be more accurate, but I think it could be more relatable for the listeners. And I think it's sort of a good way to introduce injured players who are spending time off into you know giving them something to do and also potentially helping them into what could be a media career after they've finished their time playing rugby and i also think it would attract sort of a bigger audience to watch games on tv or listen on radio because if you, if you think about you had jack noel who's injured right now for the chiefs if he came in sort of was a pundit not even just a commentator if he was a pundit on bt for one of the chiefs games I think you would see more people come in and watch the pre-match and post-match uh, chit-chat just because it's Jack Noel and it's, they, you know, it's a big name and it can give you something different to what an, an expert commentator or pundit would. Yeah, completely. And I think it's just interesting. I think, I think a lot of players have like opinions on the game. That, I mean, obviously our job is to play rugby. Um, you don't want to become known because you're a good commentator. But I think it, it is does help people develop a career like you said and yeah I think it just gives good opinions that people might not see or might not think about rather than hearing 
oh, you've got to earn the right to go wide, or you like to go through them before you go around them. This stuff is sometimes still here. Um, and it'd be good for like a player who's got an opinion on how the game can play to be like, oh, I think really good because he did this, as opposed to that's what happened. Um, so I think it'd be cool. And like I've seen obviously like a few players like radio, and it's like it's funny as well because sometimes they don't know what to say because they're not a commentator, so they say something ridiculous. Um, so I think that's funny as well. Like <laughs> I watched um, one of our so Matt Williams, uh, he plays for Irish, tore his ACL in the end of last season. And has been doing a couple on radio for our games at Brentford. And just looking at him, because obviously I've been on the bench, it's like 20 meters away. I can kind of hear him talking about something that I know he doesn't know about. And I'm like, this is brilliant. <laughs> this would be good to hear. I think that'd be interesting as well, which is probably players try not to swear on TV. That, that would be interesting. Uh, I mean, I do have to stand up for the commentators and pundits here, because obviously I, I am in this media broadcasting industry. And... You know, they are trained to be commentators. That's why they are on TV, on radio. It's, it's not just something you can pick up overnight. So I think the issue would be that maybe players would make a fool of themselves. That is a good point. And I also, as well, I do really respect the people that anyone who commentates on rugby, it's, it's a tough job. Like I said, I've done it on the radio before and it was rubbish. So I'm not campaigning for me to go on. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that it's definitely not as easy having done it. I will say it's definitely not as easy commentating on a game that you think it is. You think, like, you go on there and you'll, like, tell everyone how much you know. Whereas, actually, you're just like, don't swear, don't swear, don't swear. Also, I mean, do you think clubs would actually let players go and do the media work while still being a member of the squad? Because, I mean, they wouldn't want to take the risk of them saying something that could harm the player or club, would they? Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I think, like, I think that would be definitely based on the club and what they value, like, the, the coaches or the board so you might get a club that is like on the players to go out and do different stuff and build a brand for themselves and build a brand of the club by like showing themselves and doing media stuff and then you might get some clubs that are like like your job to play rugby like i don't care what you have to say and you shouldn't go around telling people what you think because you might basically show us up or you might show yourself up so i think that would be tough as well like obviously different clubs have different opinions on these things so I get to ask ask my boss what what he fancies. Um, I know Jackson because he's probably not a fan of social media. So uh, yeah, maybe I won't be the first to start. But yeah, I think it is interesting. It would be interesting what clubs would like their players to do it, and which would be like stick rugby. Yeah, I'm not sure any players from Leicester Tigers would be given the opportunity either, <laughs> knowing the motto of that club. And is media work something you'd be interested in doing when you've hung up your boots? I don't really know. It's hard to say. I think a lot of people love watching the sport they play, but I guess it might be quite different for people when they're not actually involved in it. So it's probably something that hasn't massively interested me. I think probably learn some good stuff from doing it in terms of just how to speak better, how to not swear every third word, um, which I'm guilty for a few times. So I think that's why some players like doing it because they're not playing because they're injured. I think it is some quite good skills that someone asks you a question like, okay, what do I actually think about this? But I think for me, it would be different, obviously, being involved in the game for however I'm involved with the sport and then going to be the other side of the fence. Um, I think I might just be enjoying some of the sofa uh, watching the boys go to work as opposed to talking about it. And out of the players currently in the game, not just at Irish, but everybody in, sort of in rugby, who do you think would be the best to go on TV and do broadcasting? I'll give you two answers. So Toxie Ojo has just retired from Irish and he has such a quality voice and opinions and is so well-spoken. I heard him commentating and I'm like, this is brilliant. I think this is class. And he's a smooth guy. He's very funny and interesting. So he's been, he's been class since he's been doing some more broadcasting. 
Um, and then I guess you'd say, like, obviously has quite a media presence anyway, but Ellis James is someone who's very opinionated and I probably don't agree with everything he has to say, but he's someone who is going to be entertaining, give his real opinion. So I think, I think someone like him would be, would be really good to actually give some opinions. I think that's what you want from a, a broadcaster. The baby rhino. He's actually he's just started gone on good and bad and rugby and has become their sort of fourth member. Okay, so thank you, Theo. Well, it's got to that time where I have to pick one of the three things to remove from rugby and leaving in a locker room. Now, Theo, actually, you've come up with some really, really good points. Um, a lot better than some of my previous guests who have come onto the podcast. So three really good things. But what I have decided to hypothetically remove from rugby and put into a locker room is drum roll please i think i'm going to put in the reducing the amount of contact and internal contact games in training and the reason i do this is mainly because of player welfare and their careers after. I mean, you hear stories of sort of a hundred scrums happening in a day's training, and I don't know where that gets you. I mean, after a point, they're just going to be so tired and they're not going to be gaining anything from that training session. They're so tired and it just increases the risk of injury. Um, and we need to protect players' welfare. And it has got better, obviously, since the days where it was sort of amateur and then the beginning stages of professionalism. But I still think we need to increase player welfare um, because players know the consequences, like you say, of playing rugby as a professional sport, but they're not signing their lives away at the end of the day. And the game is getting more physical, so I think we need to be very cautious of how much contact takes place in training. And like you said, when you hear that Steve Thompson is saying he can't remember winning a World Cup, which would be the pinnacle of his career, um, or you have, you know, in history, Matt Hampson, who was the Leicester um, an England young prop who got paralysed just doing a training scrum in camp. That is just so awful to hear and it's just something you wish you could cut out the game. So I think that is your, your best point you've brought forward, Theo. Nice. And you'd like to keep your job so you don't want us to be in the commentators. And yeah, that, that's also the main one. I, I don't want to, we don't want to piss <laughs> the refs off, so I'm going to help you there. And I want to try and yeah, keep yeah. my job and have a good long career in broadcasting. So that's it. So, um, yeah, so we're going to put, uh, yeah, reducing amount of contact and in, internal training contact into the locker room. So in it goes. Right, it is time for the end of podcast feature locker room questions. Henry, Thomas Aldridge and Mike is yours. Room questions with Theo Brophy Clues, brought to you by Buda Vida, the activewear brand giving back to women in sport. Now I know you all raided the Buda Vida warehouse last month for Christmas, but if you find yourself needing some more sportswear to fulfil those pesky New Year's resolutions, then head over to Buda Vida and use the discount code hashtag Leave It in the Locker Room for 30% off your order. That's right, 30% off your order when using the hashtag Leave It In The Locker Room with women's activewear brand, Buda Vida. Back to you, Charlie. Now it's time to play our end of podcast feature, Locker Room Questions, an opportunity to find out what really goes on behind the closed doors of the London Irish Locker Room. Theo, are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so what is your go-to pre-match meal? Um, so as boring as ever, I think it's gay bolognese. Um... I literally will sit down and make like six batches of it and eat it over the weekend leading up to the game. So uh, that's what I go to. 
Um, do you have any pre-match superstitions? I don't have any like superstitions, but I warm up is probably the same every time. Um, in terms of like when I get to the ground, like warm up I do, when I like get changed, when I go out to kick, the kicks that I do. Um, so that might be one big superstition. Um, but I don't have anything like weird that I like say to myself. Probably the only thing is that like before I go out, I'll put like jersey over my head and basically sit there and just take a few deep breaths, kind of relax a little bit literally before we go out um because i get us like too hyped up sometimes so that helps calm me down a little bit <laughs> okay we look so uh, weird <laughs> i could just i'm trying to picture you your head your uh, shirt over your head yeah a bit interesting that one um okay so who's the funniest person in the locker room paddy jackson um i'd say uh is very funny um just very relaxed you that guy and then Nick Phipps as well. It's just got the most classic Aussie accent that just like swears at people and just screams at people, but in a very funny way. Okay, and best dancer in the locker room? <laughs> I'm going to say Matu Matu. Um, he's got some unbelievable, he loves his music. Um, he's got some great moves for a big dude as well. I would say Rory Brand is the best slash worst dancer in the club. Big into his TikTok. Um, he's actually got some good moves, but I think it's just the nature of like liking TikTok so much. Like, pretty terrible dancer. Yeah, and who is the best singer in the locker room? Um, there has to have been some karaoke that's gone on in sort of team socials. Yeah, so I'm the worst, so that's like the base level, properly toned down. Um, so technically not in the locker room right now, but um, he's our forwards coach um, and was a player last year for us. Uh, Ross McMillan, unbelievable when he sings. Um, and he likes singing a lot as well, so uh, yeah, Ross McMillan. Uh, obviously rugby big drinking culture, who is the best post-match drinker? I'd say Isaac Curtis-Harris, one of my good mates, back rower, is, loves drinking, but is like all or nothing. So goes harder than goes home. Um, I'm going to say him. He's all about the lash. Okay, which teammate in the locker room spends the most time in front of the mirror? Uh, again, Rory Brand. Loves his hair. His hair like goes to different seasons. Like, loves changing his hair. <laughs> And then worst dressed in the locker room. Oh, there's a few of these. He's the worst dressed. There's a few of these. There's also a lot of boys who dress very well. Obviously, like vintage is very in at the moment. And there's a couple of boys who actually run the like a vintage like shop, basically. There's a few really well dressed. Um, I'm gonna have to say Isaac Curtis Harris again because uh, <laughs> he essentially goes through like a rotation. He's, an, he's a massive Tottenham fan. Um, that's all. That's awful, anyway. Only, yeah, I know. But he only wears like different variations of Tottenham shirts on top of his trackies. So his get will always be trackies, Tottenham shirt of various years, some really old, stinky ones as well. So uh, I'll tell you. That, yeah, that is shocking. I'm all on board for that. Um, okay, and then worst moment walking back into the locker room? So it's probably injuries. I had one where I did my foot, my other foot, I've done both of them um, in the same way after um, under 20 World Cup semi-final I just remember walking back in and sitting down on the physio bed knowing what I had in store for me for next year and just first year. so that was always interesting when that just happens sometimes it's an emotional game so that's probably the worst yeah and then last question best moment walking back into the locker room my memory is pretty terrible with, with lots of things like this ironically after what we've spoken about um there's been some brilliant ones that I've been involved in like getting promoted from the championship obviously after a few past years of Irish um, I think any time you get a good win away so one in recent memory is when we beat Exeter in the restart we'd lost seven games on the bounce up until that and that was pretty good obviously that's pretty recent having had most of the year out of COVID
COVID and then having a pretty poor start. So um, that was pretty special. And it's, it's a long bus journey back from Exeter as well. So I'm sure that was pretty good fun. Yeah, it's nice to have some, some like celebratory beers rather than like commiseration ones. So uh, that's always good. There we go. All right. Well, Theo, thank you so much for coming on and being my guest for this episode of Leaving in the Locker Room. You've been a really great guest and brought some great points across. So uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate it. Um, it's been good to chat. And uh, hopefully any refs listening don't get too offended by what I said. I'm sure they won't. And that concludes another episode of Leaving in the Locker Room. Who would have thought we have made it through another episode despite the Wi-Fi issues and AirPods running out. Thank you so much for Theo Brophy Clues coming onto the podcast. And we wish him all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you all, of course, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you'd like to keep up to date with all the news and updates of who will be coming on the podcast in the future, Months, just please then go and follow at by the green media on instagram and twitter of course also please download and subscribe to leaving in a locker room on spotify apple or wherever you listen to your podcast you can even ask on alexa now how amazing is that and uh, yeah everybody stay safe out there wherever you are we really are living in some crazy times and don't worry i will be back soon with another episode of leaving a locker room but for the time being it's bye for now Thank <laughs> you.